Lord Jesus, meet us this morning as we sit with you in your word. Give us yourself, we pray. Amen. Friends, this morning, our gospel story will help us to be a healthy church in these three important ways. And the first one is, it will help us to know how to set a church culture that is not a seedbed for hidden abuse of children, of women, or of anyone. Secondly, it will give us a lens for an important part of what it means, guys, for us to man up and be men in church. And thirdly, friends, it will show us God's disposition towards each one of us, towards you, and his desire for you. So let's just catch up to the moment. It's, a, it's quite a long, involved story that we heard. So what's happened is Jesus has been going about. We're in a part of Luke where things are just going swimmingly, as the Brits say. Things are going so well. Jesus went into a town called Nain, and his disciples and a huge crowd went with him. And as they approached the town, out on a, 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 a beer is being carried a dead man, and his mother is alone now. She's a widow, and this was her only son, so, of course, she's grieving, but it also means that socially she's in a terrible situation. Jesus raises the man, gives him back to the mother, and then we hear that fear sees them all and they glorify God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. So, our series in this Epiphany Tide, this season of Epiphany, has been how is God's glory made manifest, tangible in the midst of the real world. We see that happening in the way that Jesus was going about doing acts of compassion. People are giving glory to God and they're proclaiming Jesus is a great prophet. So a little time passes and Jesus goes into another town. And we're told that in that town, one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. And Jesus went to the house and reclined at table. So what we're not told explicitly because Luke didn't figure he needed to tell people because they would have known it just as the way things work, is that Jesus has gone into this town. He has spoken somewhere in the synagogue or, or out in the open or somewhere. People have responded to that. And so the Pharisee, the local sort of leader of things, then invites Jesus over to his house, and they're going to have what amounts to a summit meeting. This was culturally the way this worked. So the gate would be kept open. The doors to the house would be kept open. Only the invited guests would be at table, but everyone else could come in and hear what was said because there's the expectation that there'll be a big theological debate. This new teacher's in town. Let's bring him over and hear. So the way that table worked was a long, low table. People would recline on their left elbow share common bowls with their right hand and their feet, which of course were dirty from wearing sandals and walking around in a rocky, dry, hot place, their feet would be away. Everyone in the original hearers, if you will, of Luke's story, they all knew this is just the way things worked. But we need to maybe imagine that scene a little bit because it helps us to understand what comes next. Now, one of the things we've learned as we've walked through these stories in this, these gospel stories these past few weeks. One of the things we've learned is it isn't only what we're told, but how we're told it that 
helps us to know what the gospel writer is all about, what message he's trying to get across. In this story, the lens for getting the point of the story is that three different people will be scandalized by what happens. And the last one is the one who's being scandalized God approves of. It works like this. Behold a woman of the city who's a sinner who, read between the lines, was still at it. That's the verb tense. When she learned that he was there, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment standing behind him at his feet because they're reclining at table and their feet are back. Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now this woman has gone out of her way to enter a social space that would not have been comfortable for her. She knew what everybody who was invited, who was formally seated around the table, reclining at the table, she knew what they thought of her given who she was. She knew this wasn't easy, but something has moved her to enter this space. But she enters the space, and the first person to be scandalized speaks, or rather, the narrator speaks of that person. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now at this point, for Luke's original hearers, the second person to be scandalized would be scandalized. And that would be you, gentle hearer. The original hearers of this having built up through all these things in Luke, these amazing things are going on, having heard that Jesus was a great prophet, they anticipating some kind of great intellectual theological debate between the Pharisee and Jesus, a summit meeting, knowing how these things worked. Suddenly this woman comes in, she does what she does, and the Pharisee's thinking this in his mind, maybe wore it on his face, And Jesus now has added scandal on top of scandal because not only has he let this woman do this to him, but he has done something that no one does in that culture. He has insulted his host in front of everyone. He, well, excuse me, he hasn't quite yet. We come to that now. Jesus answering said to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. Jesus, this is brilliant what Jesus does. He faces the woman, but he still speaks to Simon. And if you're the original hearer of this story, things are going from bad to worse. Jesus has said to Simon, I have something to say to you. Kind of formal statement, let the debate begin. I'm going to put the first thing down on the table. But then instead of looking at Simon to speak to him, honored host, he looks to the woman and still speaks to Simon. And then he says to him, do you see this woman? That's enough said by itself. The story could wrap right here. Do you see this woman, Simon? Jesus has now completely scandalized everyone else at the table. He scandalized all the original hearers from the culture of that day. And he has pointedly put the question to Simon that turns out, as we'll see in a minute, 
was probably the whole reason he agreed to come to the dinner in the first place. Jesus continues talking to the Pharisee, looking at the woman. He doesn't lose it. He doesn't lose it, but he is very frank. He's calm, but he's firm. He's direct and honest. He doesn't call anyone names, but he doesn't hold back either, stating the realities of what's going on. You know how this works. When the prophet calls out people for their idolatry, the people complain, well, it's the way he said it. He embarrassed me. Jesus embarrasses Simon. Jesus, for the sake of protecting this woman, makes it plain. He refuses to play along with the social context of his day. He refuses to say, oh, I can't go there, or I can't quite step into that, or let's wait and see what happens, or maybe I'll put a nudge in or something. The reality is we're going to find out that all along, Simon's plan has been to invite this young upstart over to the summit meeting and put him in his place. That's what this has been about all along. Simon's been planning to say to him, we're going to now let you know, young prophet, who's in charge here, who defines reality here, who sets the culture here, who stays here while you pass through. How do we know this? We know this because of what Jesus says to Simon. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. These are the three hugely important acts of hospitality, which were always extended to guests. Upon entering the home, there was a kiss. It was said that it was instinctual that a Jew would kiss a rabbi. And Simon refers to Jesus as teacher, which is a way of admitting that he is a rabbi role without having to call him a rabbi. But the kiss is not given. The washing of the feet, again, sandals, dirty, rocky roads, dirty streets. The servants would wash the feet. Again, this is not given. Anointing the head with oil, pretty simple, pretty cheap. No big deal. Refreshing, cleans up a little bit. Jesus has been publicly humiliated. And who is scandalized by that? The third person to be scandalized is the woman. The woman who was a sinner, who heard that Jesus was at the Pharisee's house for a summit meal. Now read between the lines with me for a moment. Do you think this woman didn't know what was going to happen at this meal? Do you think she didn't know how the Pharisees in that town and the others were and how they saw her and how they had treated her and how things work there? She comes because she has fallen in love with Jesus because of something he has communicated of God's love to her. And she can't bear to see that happen. So she hurries over and she responds with all of who she is. This may be, friends, this may be the single most beautiful act in all the Gospels that's done by someone other than Jesus or that's done to Jesus. She carries out the three acts of public hospitality. 
She uses what she has on her. She uses who she is at that moment. And she does what she can, even at more cost to herself, doing this in front of everyone without shame. Jesus honors her by standing up for her. But also he acknowledges what she has done when he points out to Simon not only what she has done, but he points it out not in the order that it normally would happen, but in the order that she did it. She has wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. From the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. She has anointed my feet with ointment. There's really fun parallelisms in the language, in the way that Jesus describes what she's done. Jesus, it's like Hebrew poetry. He's basically saying, this woman has been poetry in motion. It's a beautiful thing. The hair, letting down her hair, is considered profoundly sensuous, something that wouldn't be done, yet it's all she has to dry his feet, so she does it. Kiss his hands, that's too much. She doesn't feel worthy, she kisses his feet an act of abject submission and humility. Anointed with cheap olive oil? Never, not by her. She pulls out the little vial that hung around her neck that had the perfume that was in fact a tool of her trade. She won't be needing it anymore. And she uses that to anoint Jesus. The extravagant things she does, friends, are not arbitrary. They bring herself body, mind, and spirit to Jesus. Her hair is now for love, really. Her kisses are now for serving. Her perfume is now for honor. And she is healed, body, mind, and spirit. Jesus, then, is the one who gets to pronounce actual reality in this place. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And then, I'm sorry to say, we have to take a quick divergence. Almost every English translation says, for she loved much. This is, I hate to say it, but it's important. This most beautiful act of all in the Gospels done to Jesus is accompanied by the most nonsensical translation of something in the Gospels as well. Jesus is not saying to her, you've earned your favor with me because of having loved much. The therefore is a Greek word that, yes, is usually translated indicating the cause, but it can also be translated indicating the goal. In other words, there'd be more of a sense of she's wanting to be forgiven, and in that she's responding with love, and she's heard something that has piqued her heart. For she loved much can equally be translated Therefore, she loved much. And that is the only way that makes sense, given the parable that Jesus said to Simon. Those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who are forgiven little, love little. The loving is response to the forgiving. And that is the reality then that Jesus pronounces. Your sins have been forgiven. They have been forgiven. Be assured. It's more like she, having seen God's love manifest in Jesus, desired forgiveness, showed her love and hope and joy and relief and a sense of a fresh new beginning, and she responded naturally. And that's the whole point. She, Jesus then says to her, go in faith 
Go in peace. Your faith has healed you. So let's touch back and pick up our opening three things. Our gospel story will help us to know how to be a healthy church in three important ways. It'll help us to set a church culture that's not a seedbed for hidden abuse of children, women, or anyone. It'll show us an important aspect of how to man up guys in the church, and it'll show us God's disposition towards us. How to set a church culture. Churches are easy targets for abusers because people are so nice, because people are so happy that a new person walked in the door, because there's too often a culture of passive aggressiveness and an unwilling to call things out. Jesus doesn't go ballistic. He doesn't lose it. He doesn't call anybody names, but he is honest. He is frank. He speaks to what's really going on, even though it hasn't been said. And he does not compromise restoring the dignity of the woman in order to not make a scene. He makes a big scene. He's not willing to play the game. He'll have none of it. Jesus' way, friends, is always the toughest. It's easy to not speak. It's easy to get angry and overspeak. It's not easy to go Jesus' way, but it's the way that makes the most life. Second, part of being a man in the church, guys, is to be a strong man. Yes, we need you guys to be strong men in church. Just be strong men like Jesus. Use that strength, use that courage to stand up for the things that are like him, that he stood up for. Thirdly, what is God's disposition to you, to me, to all of us, to each one of us? One morning at a church I served a long time ago in another state, I was going out of the morning service, and as I was going out, there was a, a young man who was still seated in the back, and he was weeping. Now, he's a bright fella. I liked him a lot. He'd been with me on a couple of trips to Africa. He was a, a fun guy to be with, you know, active, smart, good looking, good job, and all the rest. And the service that morning hadn't been about anything about romance or how to treat others or how to not get yourselves into lustful sins or things, but he's just weeping. And I sat down beside him, and when he, when he took a breath, I just asked him how he's doing. And he said, I, I'm just so tired of what I'm doing. And he said, I'll trade it all in because of the glory I've seen in Jesus. Friends, whatever you bring, and he meant by that things he was doing on the weekends with gals. So friends, whatever you bring, rather than beat yourself up, get your eyes on to Jesus. Hear his love for you. Hear him speak. Your sins are forgiven. Let's go to prayer. In your heart, in your mind, friends, just go to the moments when you've been patronized or shut down, when you were standing up for what's real and true and healthy and good. See Jesus there for you, standing between you and the other, seeing you. Imagine yourself expressing your thanks to Jesus for love and hope and joy, for relief, a fresh sense of a new beginning. Imagine his eyes on you in love and assurance. 
Maybe you're in a space where you're remembering things you wish you'd spoken up about, but you haven't. Just tell him about it. Just talk to him. Tell him how hard it is. Maybe you're seeing his glory and you're thinking about ways that you've lived that you'd like to leave behind because it just doesn't measure up to who he is. He's so much better. He's worth so much more. Hear him say, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. One is that the Way of Love starts next week. You can sign up online for that. Uh, people asking, can I bring a friend? Absolutely, share that with your friends, invite them. And we're working on groups and looking forward to that as well. Those will come later 